ain't ever gonna stop listening to me on Belly Podcast. Here we go. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Neon Belly Podcast. We are your hosts, Nate, John, Brandon, and boys. Today, we are going to recap UFC 298, and wah-wah, we will. (laughs) We got a new featherweight champ, boys. Can't wait to discuss that in the whole card as well, for Mm -hmm. that matter. Uh, then we will get you guys set up with our picks and predictions for this Saturday's UFC Fight Night, uh, Mexico City. I almost mm-hmm. said main event. Mexico City, uh, and we got a big one going back to back here with two big cards. Uh, Mexico City is going to be main evented. Two big rematches in the main and co-main with Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Royval and Yai Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega. And as always, all the news and happenings in and around the world of mixed martial arts and more, including our reactions to the UFC 300 main event announcement, which we got last night. We'll uh, react to that, give you guys our thoughts and more. Uh, With all that said, boys, how are we doing? Episode 171 of the Neon Belly Podcast. I feel like every card, like every pay-per-view night, I like I know if it's going to be a long night, like I can anticipate it, but it gets <laughs> progressively worse every next day, like in terms of just me being tired. Yes. Like I, I really need to start leaning into this whole dad thing because I yeah. feel like that's part of the reason why. I can concur. I'm pretty tired today. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a long one last night. I think at one point we had that whole, oh, there's two more fights that are five rounds. Yeah, it was literally after the Gary-Neil fight, and <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, these might, or no. I think it was after the Marab fight, and I was like, oh, I think these next two could really go to a decision. Yeah. The main event could go to a decision, and it was already like 1230 at that mm. point, or 12. I don't even remember. Long uh, weekends yeah. for all of us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, as mentioned off top, so, so much to get into. Um, so we will lead with Brandon. Before we do, though, rate, sub, follow. Let the people know what we ask them to do each and every week. Every week. We're trying to get more engagement from you guys, more follows, more likes, more reviews. You can follow us on some of our uh, social media platforms. We're on TikTok, Instagram. We're on YouTube now. Um, really trying to get the YouTube going as well, so if you can give us some likes and some subscribes on there, the notification bell, that's all fantastic. You can also give us some reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. We love the engagement, so just continue to spread the the knowledge and try to get let people know what we're doing you can find us on at neon belly podcast absolutely uh really really enjoying the youtube uh went to bed on like friday night <laughs> and our um video for the main event um, Ilya and, and alex boy i gotta get my <laughs> mind right my mind i'm still tired up here, up here. still trying to wake up a little bit uh it was at like 47 views and then i woke up saturday morning and it was at like 380 (laughs) uh and then i think now it's sitting around like 550 or something so uh, yeah absolutely we even got a couple like five or six new subscribers um and we're obviously gonna appreciate anything like we're not chasing anything big or we're just gonna celebrate everything big and small Mm -hmm. um but that was our first video to really do that since we've i mean we've only been uploading for you know since the Magomed um, mm-hmm. 
Walker fight. Just yeah. just a couple weeks here. So we're not expecting crazy fast growth. So we're going to celebrate the small ones. So if you're listening because you found our YouTube video, welcome in. Thank you for your support. And even if you do uh, listen to the podcast, I know maybe going back and rewatching a YouTube video, hearing us say the exact same thing may not be um, what you're looking for. But if you could just go like subscribe, um, maybe just like turn it on swipe it let it play for a little bit go do other things whatever uh it's greatly appreciated yeah, if you got a friend who wants to know about a fight be like i don't have time to explain it to you yeah. but here's a link because this is well and we're learning a lot about youtube and retention is a big thing so mm-hmm. you know it's more to just like let it run if you can for a minute even it's on mute like i said i know it's not <laughs> the funnest thing but uh with that boys we have to get into it ufc 298 from this past saturday and in our main event <laughs> Ilya Toporia defeats Alexander Volkanovsky via second round knockout. And wow, wow, wow. I I think today, boys, I am uh, more speechless and in shock uh, than I was after the Islam knockout. Um, And I think a lot of it is just because you could always make like, well, it wasn't... 55, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is Alexander Volkanovsky. We talked about it last night. Like, him not being the featherweight champ seems so weird to me. Um, and Ilya Teporia called his shot, man. He said second round knockout, big right hand lands flush, and Volk just absolutely crumbles. Um, and I have a feeling that this right hand is one that, you know, we're going to be talking about and highly considering at the end of the year for our <laughs> yeah. knockout of the year. Uh, but, man. It's just weird, like I said, uh, as I mentioned, just sitting here today and Volk isn't our featherweight champ because I think, what has, 2018, is that what I said? 2017, I think. He's been champ since, uh, six or seven time champ. Um, But that just speaks to how insane and huge what Ilya just did is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought Volk looked good in round one. That's the thing, too, right? All the judges gave it to him, too, yeah. I thought his jab was his best weapon and was seemingly giving uh, Ilya some problems, right? Ilya was starting to wear that jab a little bit on his face. But at the same time, um, Ilya also racking up damage on that leg in the first Mm -hmm. round with the kicks that were noticeably starting to, like, kind of welt on Volk's uh, leg. And interesting, Joe Rogan said that he thinks a calf kick is just as important as a good jab um and i almost thought it was weird because we saw those two things going head to head literally there in round mm-hmm. one the both hard yeah absolutely uh but ultimately the chess match between those two things that may have ensued doesn't matter because we have a new champ boys at 145 pounds he's 15 and 0 and his name is Ilya toporia yeah so for me like man i I was really surprised. I wasn't surprised with the power, um, but it kind of looked like because we I talked last week about how we had seen some of these new guys coming up against vets, and we had kind of seen them crumble a little bit when it got to that point, right? And in the first round, Ilya looked pretty good in the first two minutes, I would say, in terms of the leg kicks and just kind of getting some stuff off. But then Volk started to kind of do what he does. His kicks were really increasing in volume. He was doing great with his footwork, head movement. He was doing good getting off the center line. Everything looked really good as far as how this fight was probably going to go in my mind. But Ilya just has that difference maker in his hands and it's just really hard to say like for me because going back to the islam knockout man like I, I i just i'm just curious man like i'm not taking anything away from Ilya, but how much does the knockout loss to islam factor into this and we'll never know like that's not something we can ever know mm-hmm. but Ilya obviously has just incredible power in both of his hands but 
Alex is still just that really, really good as far as adjustments. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to if they end up doing a rematch, how a rematch even looks. I don't want to go too far ahead, but as far as the fight itself, man, I mean, the first round was a lot of Alex, and the second round, Alia did what he did. What he does. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember, and it's funny as I didn't say it out loud, but in my head I was thinking before the knockout, like, it seems like Ilya's a lot more like um, forward than this in most of his fights. He's a little bit more aggressive because he does trust his hands so more, but or so much. But that also is a testament to Volkanovski and what he does and his well-roundedness, especially even Volkanovski starting off with head kicks, doing something off kilter from what he's usually doing. Um, you know, we talked about stuff that he you could tell he's been working on some stuff, and even as much afterwards saying like I was about to open up and do some more stuff, but then this happens. But I think that's kind of what you get to when you have an X factor in your in your power because you can kind of completely erase other people's game plans in one shot. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Brandon, you make a good point there. You know, with the knockout to Islam, and it's like you know the age thing. Um, it was kind of the running joke all week, even Volk bringing the whole old man Volk to the presser and thing. But, dude, it's a real thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very real. And mm-hmm. and Volk is 35 years old, and he did just get knocked out uh, for the first time in a long time just four months ago. Um, and I think that kind of segues perfectly into, like, you know, what is next? Because, I mean, there is so many things I think that could happen here. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of discussion on not only what's next for this new, the new champion, Ilya Taporia, uh, but what's next also for the former champ now, Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, because I don't think anyone would argue that Volk deserves um, and should get an immediate rematch. Uh, but I think there's also an option for Volk to move up, right? Mm-hmm. That's been discussed. Uh, but no matter what, I would like to see Alexander Volkanovsky take some serious time off. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, again, coming off to those back-to-back knockouts now, or now that's back-to-back knockouts, four months apart, um, and with how brutal both were, especially this Elia one, mm-hmm. um, I'm talking like eight months, maybe even a year. I would love to not see Volk. He's, but he, we also know how Volk is. Yeah, right. Um, and he's been very clear on he needs to be fighting. Um, and like I said, the whole th- age thing but I said in the breakdown of this fight, it's it's funny, like I said, but it is a real thing. And there's a reason that old cliche of time is undefeated is so mm-hmm. true. And we see it time and time and time again. Uh, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, on top of that, too, those two different weight classes, two different type of weight cuts. Like, yeah. there's just so much that went into this that just wasn't leaning toward Volkanovsky's favor other than his greatness that he's exhibited at the weight division. So should deci- so should Volk decide to take that time off, um, I think he's definitely, like I said, not only earned that spot, but he's earned it being held and saved until he is ready to return. Um, so even if Ilya is still Volkanovsky's next fight, I could see a world where Volk isn't Ilya's next opponent opponent necessarily um and i think there's some great options for Ilya as well should volk decide to take time off maybe move up obviously we are going to get to it in a minute with our picks but we have the ortega versus yair fight this weekend mm-hmm. easily could see a number one contender come out of that um we also have Max Holloway, who's facing Gaethje at UFC 300. Max did say he wanted to wait and see what happened at this UFC 298 main event before he committed uh, mm-hmm. to his future weight. Obviously, Mavzari Vloyov is someone I've seen floated out there because him and uh, Taporia were supposed to fight at mm-hmm. one point. Uh, but what do you guys think? You know, What would you like to see next for both parties here, Ilya Taporia and Alexander Volkanovsky? I'll start with Alex. Um, I, 
I do understand what you're saying about time off, but the only problem with that is is his age, right? So, like, a year off for Alex is not the same thing as a year off for a guy who's 27, 26, right? Like, it's just you're really kind of – you've got a really short uh, margin there as far as what you can play with, in terms, especially with this sport, the way it grows and the way it moves along. So, I like the idea of time off. But for me, I mean, I think six to – eight months maximum honestly like just because that's how quick the turnarounds are and just kind of the way volk is yeah and then as far as uh, Ilya, man i mean the options are pretty plentiful there like i i don't hate the idea of a number one contender with the picks we're going to get to i really like the avoilov uh matchup max like another one that floats around i, I think all those are great like but this is what happens when you get a new fresh guy and they're it like Ilya. everything yeah up. there's there's not really a wrong answer and i think that's what makes it so hard to just also for a lot of people to want to go straight back into that rematch um but i and i know what you're saying about like you know the six eight months thing but like to me if if we if we don't see Volk the rest of the this year in 2024, that's fine. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we will, but it needs to be like end of the year because you have to remember too, he's coming off of a 2023 where he fought three times across mm-hmm. two weight classes and lost two of them. You know, both to Islam. It's a rough year, man, for a yeah. guy that was on top for so long, and you know, even though he didn't lose that first islam fight in the same fashion he lost the second one that was a war man i mean Mm -hmm. it was our fight of the year um and those start to take a lot out of guys we've seen it over and over you know the older they get now the yair fight was a little bit easier for him right Mm -hmm. like not not like look like a typical volk uh, featherweight about there but that's another thing to, uh, to remember as well it's not even just the the two knockouts now four months apart or coming off the one knockout four months ago this guy had a full 2023 across multiple weight classes and i think and one of those being like a last minute more absolutely um and and i also think that you know i think khabib had said something about like when guys get head kick knocked out like that they're just never the same yeah and i mean not to say i mean and you kind of see it a little bit in this it's just that you know we've seen we've seen volk get hit before in, in in other fights but i think we're also just seeing a level of power at featherweight that we just haven't seen That's in true maybe ever, but I, I can't even think of somebody. Well, I, yeah. I said last night, you know, like Connor had the precision, but I don't know that Connor had this power. I mean, they still get the job done, like yeah. in terms of. I mean, Josh Emmett has a lot of power too. Josh Emmett's got power, but like the difference, like between. I guess even Emmett and Tapodia for me personally, mm-hmm. like I know I'm not the the striking aficionado, but I feel like Tapodia has legit boxing skills yeah, it's a lot cleaner it's a, way cleaner of like a more technical boxer um than what we see from like a josh emmett so to be able to put the technique with the power i think mm-hmm. is why tapodia has so much success uh with the striking and remember yeah. like i told you guys last night this guy's a grappler really i mean mm. i think he has more submission finishes than he does knockout finishes mm-hmm. so that's important to remember too yeah, <laughs> like they didn't of, even need to touch it that's kind of the mo nowadays no right like the charles or like the even like robocop we just talked about where it's like you know this guy's a jujitsu guy right and then you know now they've found this whole different thing with the power or the striking but yeah it's i think um you know i know Illy also brought up the connor thing but i don't think we're seeing connor even close to 55 let alone no. 45 we'll get to connor in a minute because um, dana provided an update <laughs> on that as well i don't know if in the news um, I didn't see that part of it, but I think for Ilya too, man, I think that, um, I, I, I do think there's a level of with Max and Volk, cause even with Max, he's got a really tough fight coming up. So we don't even know when or if he'll be ready for that. I think Mazar makes the most sense in, in terms of he's coming off a win and he's ready to go. Um, but we also don't know 
you know, if they want to do it in Spain, how further down through the year that's going to take, um, how they're going to even set that up. I see Mobzar as the last option between everybody, honestly. I, I, I disagree with you there. I think you look at the winner between Yair Ortega first. If yeah. Volk doesn't want to turn around, timelines would make sense. They're literally fighting a week apart. Um, now, injuries, things could happen, mm-hmm. but providing one of those guys comes out and can turn around if Volk, again, this is all contingent on Alexander. Whether we believe Volk should take time off or not, it doesn't matter what we yeah. think. It's what Volk wants to do. And if Volk, uh, you know, obviously we can get to the Spain stuff a little bit, but uh, if he wants to go in four or five months again, nobody's going to stop Alex. And that's his, well within his right. Mm-hmm. Um, Tapodia obviously wanting to go to Spain. Um, I think that's massive. I think yeah. that would be huge for the UFC to finally break into that market, take Ilya with them. Ilya versus Volk is a huge first fight for that country. I'm, yeah. I'm sure uh, it would do very well in terms of a pay-per-view. My only hold up on Max, and I think I kind of brought this up to you guys last night, and this will be something more to talk about after 300, right? But I feel like if Max Holloway beats Justin Gaethje for the BMF title, is he not the number one contender then for the lightweight title? Right. Because we're all sitting here today pretty, I think most people would agree that Justin Gaethje is, should be number one contender, maybe even over Oliveira, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like the more interesting thing to me is like, if you're Max, if you win the BMF title and you have a bang on title shot in both weight classes, you got to go for the two division. Like to be a two divisional champ, you cannot let that pass up Mm -hmm. to go back to the weight class where, I mean, yeah, you just never beat Alexander Volkanovsky and maybe you can go beat Ilya Tapodia, uh, but you have to chase that two ways. I think Max would be crazy if he beats uh, Gagey and has mm-hmm. that opportunity and he can pick whichever title he wants, he'd be nuts to go back to 45, in my opinion. Yeah. Because the number of people that have done it in two weight classes is so small and you want your name a part of that in terms of just GOAT status and, and really solidifying your legacy as not only one of the best featherweights, but just pound for pound, one of the best fighters ever. And right. so you have to go for that greatness if you're Max at this stage of your career. Then there's the other side. If, if Max loses... Well, then can he go back to 45 and coming off of a loss, even though it's at 55, and then challenge for the 45-pound title? I don't know. It's Max Holloway. But, you know, that's just also something to consider there. That's why I'm more looking at next week. I think this Ortega-Yair fight is going to be really big uh, for either guy, um, depending, obviously, on what Volk wants to do. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting situation of having names, opportunities, and then just what's best for the division because even even like you said like if max loses and you can still give him a title fight well that does suck for somebody like Mavzar or the winner of this main event coming up um so they, they do have a lot of options i think their first thing needs to do is deciding first of all what volk wants to do but then how things are going to work with where they're going to set it up and then see the timelines after that yeah i just i i think this summer whenever i bet spain if they can get spain done this year i just i i just have a feeling we're gonna see volk in four or five months in a rematch that's just mm-hmm. i just it's just volk and he loves those situations hey what is it live by the sword die by the sword or whatever mm-hmm. i mean that and that's if that's how he wants to go man i mean he's to me he's still the greatest featherweight of all time i think mm-hmm. um and he deserves whatever he wants to do regardless of what a fan base thinks right, right. so yeah, but man, just again, cannot undersell and understate how massive what Ilya Taporia did mm-hmm. last night was. Uh, we don't get these kind of moments very much where, mm-hmm. you know, you go back to like Weidman, Anderson Silva, right? Where you're just like, whoa, 
like yeah. this is nuts uh or or just moments like that where you see a long tenured champion finally fall well and, you know leon usman like it just it rocks the world mm-hmm. man right well and you'd brought it up last night as far as even just that division you're only talking about four guys who've even held that title yeah and now you have a fifth like yeah and those guys all held well outside of connor obviously who didn't stick around in the division but the three other guys held it for an extended yeah. amount of time and so you, it's going to be interesting to see if he carries on that fad or yeah. if it's a revolving door because people like it. You know, we've talked about how so much better the competition is getting. Yeah. Co-main event, boys. Robert Whitaker defeats Paulo Costa via unanimous decision. Really fun fight. Uh, Whitaker seemed to kind of be in control towards the end of round one, but then Costa landed <laughs> the biggest shot of the fight at the end of round one with that wheel kick. Um, I... I thought about it today, and I was like, I don't even know. Like, cause you know, when you see that kind of stuff, you just kind of almost go into shock as a fight fan. At least I do. <laughs> I remember like this morning waking up, remembering I was literally counting down five, four, <laughs> three, because like it was literally like yeah. Whitaker's like trying to like yeah. you know block, 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 and in Costa's just raining. And I'm like three, two, yeah, ten more seconds. Who oh, knows? Probably two more seconds, yeah. and mm-hmm. I don't know if Whitaker's making it out of round one. Being honest, um, and that may have stole around from Costa, right? That was kind of the thing going into round three. Um, was, do you score that for Costa? I don't know because rounds two, uh, were Whitaker or round yeah. two was Whitaker. Uh, and so then you're going into three thinking like, Oh, is this, you know, is this one, one here? Mm-hmm. What are we? But, um, I felt as though Whitaker to me, undoubtedly one, two and three, uh, with his, you know, pattern, those, uh, pattern blitzing kind of things, mm-hmm. the attacks that he does with the combos. Um, I thought he also did a good job of just staying on those legs consistently did start to get away from him a little bit more as the fight went on, but did the damage. You could see how tight Costa's stance had gotten by round three. Um, so no controversy for me in the decision. Um, and the Reaper boys bounces back from the Drikas, uh, knockout and gets back in the win column. Yeah. And good for him to take a shot like that and not go down, because because you know after you t- coming off another yeah, knockout. coming off a knockout like that's that's good for your confidence. Well, yeah. it's not good to get hit like that, but it's good to you know eat it, and be able to continue on and perform like he did. Right, um, he just couldn't miss, man. I mean, he was locked in for majority of round one and all of two and three. Um, he landed so many shots and. I honestly just think Paulo Costa's body is literally just built different because any other man would have been bloody and just a yeah. mess, but Costa just doesn't bleed like that, it just seems. Yeah. So um, the, the optics are different because obviously Whitaker kind of had a bloody nose and had some stuff going yeah. on with his face. But yeah, well, I mean, and dude, Costa just hits like a truck. Yeah. I mean, there's like the power difference was very apparent mm-hmm. in this fight as well. But this would have been a perfect example to me of precision. What is it? Precision beats yes. power. Yeah. Um, because yeah, yeah man, because Whitaker was just, I don't, I don't remember what the striking accuracy was for him. But I'd imagine it was very high. Um, mm-hmm. I think he landed pretty much, pretty most of his strikes. Fifty-four percent of significant strikes to Paula Costa's forty-four. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's pretty good over you know the course of a fight. Round one, he landed at sixty-one percent alone, mm-hmm. uh, which is super accurate. So yeah, yeah, so, yeah. fantastic performance. I thought this fight was everything that we wanted from this fight. I, I don't. I think that sometimes you get these matchups and you're like, well. You know, maybe somebody will like not show up, but this was just um, a really great fight. One of the better fights um, at middleweight. I feel like I've seen in a minute, and I think that you know we got a lot. Uh, we got some questions answered that are good for the division as well. You know, Rob is you know recovering from a big shot. Um, we thought I thought he was going to have to lean on his wrestling more. One takedown toward the end of the third didn't even really need it. Just kind of threw it out there. Yeah. Um, was it just an attempt too? He didn't actually land. Yeah, it, well, yeah. he kind of like I think he went for like a knee tap, and then 
like in, like it was almost like he was just trying to set up a hook with it because mm-hmm. he, he kind of like went for it. Costa stumbled and he bailed and like threw like a left hook mm-hmm. or something. If I, if yeah. I remember, it's yeah. almost like he was just trying to get the hook. Like like John said, he just kind of threw it out there yeah. to like try mm-hmm. to get him to think about something new. But you know, I think that the the calf kicks was a big uh, evolution for you know Whitaker just adding to that. And I think we also got some a good outlook on what Costa can be. Um, that front left head kick that was in the first couple rounds that he was just winging out of nowhere, got close a bunch of times. Obviously the wheel kick, um, the durability's still there. He made weight. So hopefully this is a good step for him moving forward. And for Whitaker, this was a good chance for him to remind people why he's still there. Close, uh, Whitaker, you know, Brandon, I thought you brought up a good point there. You know, Whitaker, two years younger than Volk, 33 years old, but seven months between the Drekus knockout um, in this fight here last Saturday. Um, and yeah, you just kind of, it does make you wonder, man, like if you're Volk, if you, this fight happens four months late from now or after four, four months from here, um, you know, does he maybe eat that a little bit better? I don't know. I mean, Ilya, it's still Ilya Tapodia. It's not like we haven't seen Ilya just melt guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and melt guys bigger than him. I was talking to you guys about the Jai Herbert, you know, his one lightweight fight where he just melted him. Um, and, but again, for Robert, you know, it seemed to kind of pay off here because, I mean, we've seen Costa hit guys and they just go down. And so to see him, <clears throat> excuse me, go down against Drigas and then kind of take that, something to consider moving forward, man, picking for these fights of like mm-hmm. guys coming off of knockouts. I feel like we're kind of starting to see that trend a little bit where uh, t- quick turnarounds are not beneficial in yeah. that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Whitaker said that he wants the Drigas Duplacy fight next. Um, and I get that, but I still think DDP versus Adesanya is an eventuality, in my opinion. I still think that's the biggest middleweight fight they could make right now. Um, and for me, I would love to see the striking matchup between Robert Whitaker and Strong Sean Strickland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Set that up. Winner gets the next title shot, gets both of those guys right back. I think Dana even said last night, like, the thing about Robert Whitaker is he's always in line for a title. Like, he, yeah. he if he wins a fight, he's – it's. You know he could be in. He could be next for a title shot. But mm-hmm. um, to me, the fact that we've never seen Whitaker and Strickland—it's a fresh, super fresh yeah. matchup mm-hmm. for Whitaker, especially. Um, I would love to see that matchup, and yeah. I think it'd be fun, man. Be very interesting. That yeah. would be a fun chess match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's it's. A, it makes the most sense, especially when you talk about a Robert Whitaker who's fought pretty much everybody else at that top. Uh, when you talk about like Cannoneers and Vittorias and stuff like that. Um, and for Strickland gives him a name to kind of reassert himself uh, back up into there, depending on what ends up happening with DDP and Izzy. So yeah. I definitely agree. No, I think that's super fun. Next fight, boys. Ian Gary defeats Jeff Neal via split decision. Uh, a close fight, boys, uh, but one I will not be excited to go back and watch uh, when we have to preview one of these Did guys next. <laughs> No, Gary, he did not ruin my parlay. Stay, we'll probably never put any, me and Gary in a, anything <laughs> ever again. Uh, has nothing that does not reflect at all how I feel about him as a fighter. Just, uh, yeah, I'm, you know. Fool I'm, me once. I'm a woman scorned, right? Hell yeah. hath no fury. Uh, <laughs> rounds one and two, super close. Um, I thought it was probably 1-1 one, one going into the third. I did have Gary winning that last round. I thought he just kind of won on volume alone, which... 
sitting here today, it's a bit of a shame for Jeff Neal, I feel like, more than anything, mm -hmm. because I think Neal is a lot more capable than what he showed in this fight, um, and I think ultimately it was just too much of Neal just kind of following Gary, uh, rather than trying to cut off the cage and, and kind of stop that side-to-side -side movement that um, Ian Gary was utilizing, um, but nonetheless, great game plan for Ian Gary, he stuck to it, stayed on the outside, um, and picked his way to now 14-0. and 14 and a yeah I think like you said with Neil like cutting off the cage would have made a big difference I think it was the second going into the second or going into the third I don't remember which but Neil's coach even said what's happening when you throw your combinations he said I land yeah but he just whatever it was whether it was the teeps or the kicks up the middle or just that lateral movement itself but he was just having a tough time really getting to that place where he could let his hands go on the inside and then the clinching was really frustrating too because mm -hmm. he would get off on a good combination and, and then he would clinch yeah. and then there was just nothing much behind it like if you're shooting for doubles or really driving for a takedown okay but but if that's not what you're doing, that's not how you're going to win this fight. And I feel like that's where a little bit of that fight IQ should come into play. Of, okay, we need round three. Clinching with 35, 45 seconds left is not going to get this done. I need way more volume. But, yeah, hats off to Ian Gary. Well, we've talked about that with Jeff Neal, man. You just don't know what Jeff Neal you're going to get. Because yep. if the guy's on, he's on. Mm -hmm. And then he turns up sometimes and these kind of the performances you get from him. And I think it was actually Eric Nixick I saw last night put on X that um, – uh, he felt, I think he said something to the extent that he felt like Jeff Neal more lost the fight than Gary won it. Mm -hmm. um, I think he was kind of maybe insinuating that Jeff Neal seemed to be the better fighter, um, but just kind of coasted. I mean, I don't know. We just get these performances from him sometimes. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of people who were upset with the decision that thought Jeff Neal won I didn't, it. I wasn't upset. I told you guys, they everybody gave uh, Jeff Neal round one. To me, that was crazy. I, I thought, I mean, he landed the one pretty big shot where uh, Gary was kind of moving straight back and he Fell caught him to the, to cage. the cage. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty big shot, but I feel like most of round one was Ian Gary leg kicking, just kind of picking Jeff Neal apart. So I was really interested to see that, and maybe that's where the discrepancy came for me because I didn't see any controversy in it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I gave Gary uh, one and three, and then I think I gave Jeff Neal round two. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that... You know, there is something with the, I feel like with the fight IQ, because when you just have that overhook and you're, you're not even throwing punches, you're kind of just holding them. You're not throwing elbows on the exit. You're not, you know, trying to knee him. You're not working a takedown. So that all that clinch, all that clinch time really doesn't mean anything because you're literally just kind of holding him. Um, and for and for Gary, you know, he did do, you know, they they had mentioned that somebody had brought up the Shavkat fight with Jeff Neal, where Shavkat had the reach, but he decided to go forward, and Gary said he's going to do the opposite of that, and he did that. He stayed on the outside, yeah. um, kept himself out of danger for the most part, um, and, and which is a smart thing. I think what you're probably seeing on the backlash too is just some of the optic of. You know, Ian Gary getting out of there, circling and being far away from Jeff Neal. Anytime Jeff Neal got a chance to get close and he didn't clinch. But part of this is also not getting hit. It isn't just who can take the most punches. So, And one thing I do want to say for Ian Gary is regardless of what people said or think about him, you know, uh, I thought he was all class all week long mm -hmm. uh, and really stayed professional, went in and just did his job this week. Um, and I think for a young contender, that's huge because for all of the persecution him and his family have taken, uh, especially there for a while on the internet, we all wondered and we discussed it, how would he turn up to fight week, right? You know, would it get to him? And I thought he largely seemed pretty unfazed by all of it. Um, I know he isn't super popular right now with the fans and maybe even a lot of fight 
fighters. But um, I hope even if you are maybe someone in that camp of people who just don't care for Ian Gary, uh, that you can find a little respect for him today for just uh, showing up with his family um, and doing his job like a professional because um, that had to be a bit of a tough week, man. I mean, Mm -hmm. even if he looked good on the outside, I'm sure when he's going back to his hotel room um, and people – saying the things that they were saying to him and yelling the chants that mm-hmm. he was had to hear. and um, But to put him and his family out there in the face of all that and, and to go out and do what he did, he still got to win regardless of the controversy. I think that's big, and especially, mm-hmm. again, for a guy so young uh, and who's now climbing up the ranks. And he did call out Colby Covington in his post-fight interview. Um, what do you guys think about that matchup? Because though Colby is coming off a loss, he is technically ranked above Ian Gary still. Mm -hmm. So it does make a little bit of sense, but you know, is that something you would like to see? You know, does that interest you? I think it makes a lot of sense. Okay. Like I think I was curious how people would kind of, we didn't really talk about it last night, but I was interested how people would feel about him, that matchup. Cause it's kind of two guys that people don't really care for. I mean, Colby's got his fans. The big knock against Colby is that who's he fought lately? Like, you know what I mean? He fought Mazadol coming prior to, Leon mm-hmm. and then before that it was like well he just had the Usman fights because this is a legit ranked young hungry contender mm-hmm. active a, fighter yeah yeah that too and nobody's, and nobody's that I can recall as of late as it really calls Colby out and he hasn't really been as active so I think it makes a ton of sense man make Colby prove where he's at in the division as, as a veteran and give Gary the opportunity to fight somebody that's just as much of a personality as him and mm-hmm. then just make it a big old thing I think it's a good idea yeah I think that would be a very interesting matchup um, stylistically and like you know like Brandon said it kind of gives chance for Colby to give that whole okay I finally beat somebody who's you know undefeated up and comer somebody that people are watching for and for Ian Gary you know there's a lot of people who Colby Covington you either love him or you hate him there's not really very many people who are in between I think Gary's kind of falling into that too well I guess what I'm saying Just is don't maybe see very many love out this there. <laughs> this might give him a chance to catch a little bit of love because some people really hate Colby Covington so maybe you can give him a chance to kind of turn because I don't think point. I don't think him being heel is going to work at all. It's just he, he gets, leaned into it. He, he leaned in. He, he tripled down on it mm-hmm. in, in that post fight right. as well in the cage. But even like in the press conference where you know he's getting booed, you can kind of hear like the whole. You know, we talked about the break in the voice and some of the stuff that happened in that. Yeah. And here's the other thing too is like as a kid who looked up to Conor McGregor and who's trying to kind of match that you know trajectory or that path. Conor didn't go through this part of it. And he probably didn't think he would either. But now he's sitting here seeing himself getting booed, getting talked about in ways that he probably didn't assume would happen because he thought it was probably going to go the same way Connor did. So he definitely, obviously winning cures all in the UFC. So that's part of it too. But I, I would not be mad at him and Colby Covington. The problem is there's only one Conor McGregor. <laughs> right. There's only one. Well, maybe two because Ilya. Conor McGregor. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of similarities there. Let's just I, say but, that. But, like, literally that's just what it comes yeah. down to. Like, I know a lot of these young guys are trying to emulate what Conor did, and I, I would too. I mean, if I was in this spot, like, you see what's made money. Yeah. Um, but when it's just not authentic, it just doesn't work. Sean O'Malley recently just talked about this of – He's like, I've got to get better on the microphone. Like, he knows he's trash on the microphone. And and he's like, I've got to find a way to kind of get that gift of gab. But it's just like, talk about things in fighting sometimes that you just can't teach. And I feel like that's just one of those things that a guy's either going to have that quick wittiness. Like, like Moicano. 
it's not that Moicano is like playing a character. He's just finally getting mic time and getting in big fights to where his personality. This is who Moicano is. Right. Like you can't what he's doing. You can't fake that. Like yeah. you know what I mean. Like Bobby Green is a hundred percent Bobby Green, and there's nobody else Sheesh. in the world like Bobby Green. Sheesh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, put Bobby Green on any UFC TV show. Like that's what we need, really. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like like to me, when you get these personalities, it's authentic. Like. And like Ian Gary, like in the post, the pre-fight presser where, you know, he's getting him, you know, like, you're watching me, you're, you know, yeah. like he's, it's just, he's not comfortable with it. Yeah. He's trying to be something and he just, even if you're boring, you're better off just being authentic, I mm-hmm. think. I mean, and that's why, but I guess then again, it hasn't worked or it has worked for for Colby to some extent, just being completely fake. So, yeah. um, I guess that there's, there's the counter to that. You either got a super buy-in or just be yourself. Somebody who I'm buying in today, boys, all the stock. Marab Dwalashvili defeats Henry Cejudo via unanimous decision. All things going to plan here for Marab, boys. Um, I thought it was definitely a bit of a slow start for him. A little uncharacteristic, right? Um, at least compared to what we're used to seeing in some sense. You know, he was kind of allowing Henry to come forward in round one. And Henry did have a little bit little bit of success in that round. But then rounds two and three, all Marab. Um, and without a doubt, boys. And actually, Dana made it official last night in his... Ninth, ninth or tenth straight win for Marab. Do we? I can't remember. I think it was nine. Ninth straight win. Yeah, I think that sounds right. But either way, boys, we have a new bantamweight number one contender, and his name is Marab Dwalashvili. Yeah, a little rough in the beginning, right? There was the nice right or left hand landed by Cejudo that kind of really rocked uh, Marab. But outside of that shot, man, I mean, Marab, I think it was in the first round too, Marab landed a really nice single and got that trip. Mm-hmm. And then really from that point forward, man, it was just all Marab, just being able to outgrapple Cejudo in multiple contexts. And, and looked really easily mm-hmm. to, to, to outgrapple an, an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah, so, I mean, and I don't, again, I don't want to take anything away from Marab, but this is another one of those conversations where you're looking at a 37-year-old Cejudo that took two years off and came back and you know lost to the teammate Aljo and so there's a there's a lot that kind of played into this matchup but man Marab just really displayed a fantastic like he I think the confidence for me just the fact that he was able to out wrestle him the way he did because that was the big question mark for me the, the, the hands I gave that to Cejudo but when Marab really started to get to get going with his offense in terms of the grappling department man it just put all that faith back into Marab as far as doing what he does and it didn't matter who's in front of him and legitimately out wrestled because at times there were moments in this fight where it literally just looked like a wrestling match yeah. they were even in referee's <laughs> position a couple yes. times both guys so. Kind of chilling. <laughs> yeah so yeah go ahead John I'll just say that's just not something you see very often yeah. except for high level wrestler guys um, and it is 10 in a row actually I just I thought it was 10 okay. Yeah. Okay. so I mean that obviously is crazy and when you look at who he beat to get there obviously equally as crazy but uh, yeah, man, I think that you're just seeing, um, um, you know, we talked about it when we did the preview, but sometimes you think that only being like being exceptionally good at just like cardio and maybe wrestling is, isn't usually enough at the top level. But once again, when it's a high, 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 high level, and we're also talking about a chin here, like he got hit with that big shot and just kind of smiled and turned up a yeah. little bit. Mm-hmm. Like um, I thought Henry Sudo did a good job with the calf kicks early, but it just wasn't enough to um, really affect what Marab was wanting to do as far as coming forward. Mm-hmm. 
And, mm-hmm. and when you wrestle at that level, um, especially over three rounds, if you're not going to come on quick and, and really stop Marab from pushing forward like that, it's going to be really hard. And Marab really wasn't even, you know, Nate had said it during the fight is he wasn't really fighting the fight we thought he was going to fight early, but yeah. turning it into that, especially in those later rounds and just really solidifying it. And I mean, this dude's throwing on front chokes while staring at Mark Zuckerberg. Smiling, laughing. Uh, I mean, just made it look easy. He picked him up and carried him over to yeah. Mark just mm-hmm. to slam him in front of him. Like, this guy's like... He gave him like a hardcore Holly Alabama slam. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like it's like shades of like Hamzat where, you know, he's walking over yeah. to Dana and dumping him over and talking to him. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of... I think was, this was a really like coming out moment for him in my eyes. Yeah, maybe the moment was a little big there early, but I felt, yeah, like by round two, he's, you know, in his corner laughing, smiling, joking around, um, talking to Mark Zuckerberg with a 10-finger choke on. Like, I mean, it was just... It was all Marab, really, after that mm-hmm. first round. Um, and I'm not asking for a pick right now, obviously, but assuming Marab is next for a title shot, as Dana said that he would be, um, but we all know that is always subject to change with the UFC. Um, how do you think kind of Marab would stack up against either Sean O'Malley or Marlon Chito Vera, depending whoever comes out of that UFC 299 matchup uh, with the Bantamweight title? I mean, I think he's got all the skills to do it. The question is, does that chin hold up against O'Malley? That's mm-hmm. I think I think him and Cheeto is a much better matchup, but O'Malley's hands are just scary. That pre- yeah. it's the precision, just like Connor, is kind of similar to me. Um, but I, the other thing is, if he gets a hold of O'Malley, I don't think O'Malley's getting up. The way if P- Piotr Jan is able to have the grappling success he had, um, and then you look at what Marab did to Piotr, I think Piotr is going to be on the web blanket O'Malley. But what about Cheeto on the other side? Because we've seen Cheeto display some really good jujitsu off of his back as well. He got wrestled by Sanhagen though, didn't he? Yeah, really bad. So I, yeah, so again, to me, Marab is going to be able to out wrestle Sanhagen. Yeah, I, I think the. It, what becomes interesting is both of the guys that he would have to fight face have a chance to to like knock people's block off. Like they have really big uh, moments, they land really big shots, and Marab gets hit. Um, I mean, obviously we've seen in the first round of this. I don't know how that looks if it is a Sean O'Malley um, kind of like the Aljo situation, or you know the Cheeto head kick on Dominique Cruz. You think about some of that, like or like the flying knee on Frankie Edgar. Like you never know. Um, you know how that's going to happen because he does have a great chin Marab does but eventually those things run out so that would be my only question mark I do think if he can start implementing his game which is weaponizing his cardio and going to that wrestling I don't think either guy really has anything to stop him from taking him down it would just be to see if either one could get up yeah I was one more thing yeah. I'll say it, if O'Malley lands on Marab the way that Cejudo did in early in mm. round one I don't I that's think he, I think he gets him out of there so Marab cannot start slow with O'Malley I think he has to just immediately go into his game plan he can't slow down and on the Henry Cejudo side of things he did say earlier in the week if he can't be I think his quote was somebody as one-dimensional as Marab he would retire Um, and we're sitting here today and he's not only coming off of that loss but his second straight loss since he's returned Um, and Brandon you kind of started to touch on it there but what have you guys kind of made of Cejudo's return and what do you think that we're going to see from him next Two years off is a long time, man. Three. I, sorry, three years. Yeah. That's that's an incredibly long time for this sport and like the divisions themselves themselves, especially the smaller divisions, the way they've just progressed. Like and he's older too. He's thirty seven now. I just think that he's just reached a point where the the chin's not in question, but the, everything else that he does is not the same. The mm. speed's not the same, 100%. the footwork's not the same. Um yeah, he, I would even question I'm not he didn't look super tired to me. But I would question even where his cardio is at. There was points in that fight where I just kind of questioned. Maybe it was just more of like a being broken mentally. Piece. I was going to say the mentality. Like there was one point, I think it was in between 
the second and third round, maybe he looked pretty out of it on mm-hmm. the stool, like a little defeated. Well, is that uh, f- that ten finger choke afterwards? Yeah. He just kind of got up and kind of just like waltzed over to yeah. the corner. But you know, these things all stack up, man. And it's just one of those things. That, yeah, even if you're a triple C and you were on top of the world, you can't take time off like that in this game and expect to, expect to be super successful. You, even if you're at the top, you just it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's funny you say that because you know you think about like GSP, right? Who took all that time? You know, well, not as much time off, but took some time off and came back and beat my. Michael Bisping for the 185 pound title and um, maybe he got lucky because he ran into Michael Bisping and not Israel Adesanya or somebody Mm -hmm. else but you know timing is everything in that regards but I also think even what I'm getting at is from that time which wasn't all that long ago to now the sport has grown so much and we talk about it all the time but athletes are making huge gains even in between four or five months between their fights like we see guys and they come out next fight and it's like a completely different fighter mm-hmm. and like you're what you're saying i think is 100 percent right is it's just so hard to do at this level well and i i mean even if you look at that division like the the when you left there was like two or three guys that kind of kept fighting for the belt now you have all these contenders like you basically left and tried to come back into arguably the best division in the the, the highest league where it's like you got a lot of hard guys to fight his last fight was against dominant Cruz for the belt right yeah. yeah, yeah. Look where that, like, where that's all gone. Right. right. Yeah. He, like, you go back to that fight. He looked like one of the best guys mm-hmm. under 155 pounds in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just on point in that fight. And you know, it, it's not even the age to me. The 37. That's 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 up there in age. But this is a 37 year old who in combat years might be like 57. I mean, he's wrestled his whole life, you know, went through an Olympic cycle. Um, I mean, surgeries, yeah, multiple divisions too. Uh, Yeah. Cross divisions. Absolutely. That's a great point as well. So yeah, it's interesting, man. I I don't know if we've seen the last of triple C. I I have a feeling deep inside of me. I feel like we might have, um, just because you have to wonder at this point, um, unless it's going back down to 125 pounds, which again, 37 years old, why would he want to do that? Mm -hmm. He definitely ain't going up. Um, I mean, I don't know what would be left for him. You know, you want to just kind of kick rocks around and, you know, be try to face these younger hungry guys. Is there super fights maybe for a Henry Cejudo? Maybe. I don't know. But did I we th- ever find out what happened to his arm? Oh, yeah. He that, checked, I forgot he, about He blocked that. the kick. Oh, the, and then it. I just yeah. didn't hear anything in the post. That fight. happened like sometime halfway through second yeah. round. I completely spaced that. That yeah. forearm just turned into like Ugh. Popeyes, dude. Did you hear uh, what Dana said in the post fight about them not letting him talk? Yeah, no. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, that, that was very. To me, that was even a bit did telling. Did you see that? I didn't hear that. Uh, essentially, they asked him why they didn't give him a chance to like talk and like retire because he said he wanted to, and he was basically just like, he's already done that before. Yeah, this was Marab's night. He doesn't get a chance to retire again. He said mm-hmm. he got a chance to retire after the, he beat Dominic Cruz. <laughs> I was just, like, dang. So right. that's very telling, man. That, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you got to look into that stuff. There's something there, and but I can't uh, imagine that Cejudo has been like great to work with. I don't. I've this. always had. I, I feel like we've talked about it on this podcast before. Cejudo came back, and we were discussing: Is he coming back? Will he come back? I think we've discussed it. Then is I don't think Dana White cares for Henry Cejudo that mm-hmm. much. I mean, I don't know what personal. Like, I have no insight on that. But it just always he's, the way he's always kind of talked about Cejudo I don't think he's the biggest might be a personality that's what I'm saying because the one thing we can't ever take away from Henry Cejudo is he's cringe Mm 24-7 he's himself and that version I mean you've seen the way he kind of gets in arguments with people maybe it's something that Dana wasn't a fan of but I thought that was interesting Boys, we got to speed through these last results real quick. Anthony Fluffy Hernandez defeats Roman Kopilov. Shout out to Kopilov, man, who stepped in uh, for Ikram Alaskarov. Kind of late notice. I think 
last week did he step in? Yeah, was last, last week or week? the week before? Yeah, uh, but uh, Fluffy gets it done, rear naked choke in round two, and I thought Kopilov won round one. I didn't mm-hmm. see the judges' scorecards, but he looked really good in the first round, mm-hmm. and um, I, I love Fluffy, but I think we're going to have to see some evolution 12 there. 12 and with, 2, man. Yeah, we're gonna have, we just need to see some evolution there in the stand-up. Um, and also, <laughs> Amanda Limoges uh, defeats uh, Mackenzie Dern by unanimous decision, um, and I don't want to take away from the, min- the win from Amanda because she looked as good as I think we've seen Amanda look Sharp. in a lot. Oh. But Mackenzie Dern, man, like, it's just like I was telling Brandon, because you, you got to my house right as this fight mm-hmm. was kind of starting, mm-hmm. right after round yeah. one, and I was like, it, I, I just, there's just no growth for Mackenzie Dern in the striking, and it's just like, fight to fight, and like, you know, and again, like I just said, we're seeing fighters, it's possible to make leaps, we've seen it time and time again, and for whatever reason for Dern, and Brandon, you you know, I think you were spot on and you were like, she might be doing it in the gym, but for whatever reason, it's like when she gets in the fight and she gets hit, mm-hmm. just resorts back. And that's because that's the thing, man. Everyone's got a game plan to get in the face. And there's a lot of competitors who they practice everything the way they're supposed to. And then as soon as the lights are on, they just struggle to pull together what they need to. Yeah. But jujitsu's always been her thing. She can I, fall back on. And so. that's what, yeah, that's what's tough. So that's there. But the striking just, yeah. Once well, to that, cage. I would say she did the reaching lunging punch yes. before she even got hit. Yeah, that was early. Well, that's what I told him. I said literally her opening, like the opening of the fight, was she came at her with her hands wide mm. open, not even fists, oh, yeah, yeah. open palms, and was just reaching for her. And she got think, think, like she yeah. got pieced up. Like you cannot do that at this. Well, level. Well, and, and like as a UFC professional fighter, we can't just say your attribute is you're a dog. But you know what, man? I, I agree with that. But I was telling Brandon, and I'm like, gosh, that's like her third loss in a row. It's only her second. And, like, we were kind of going through it, and it's like, man, like, she won the four straight, right? She won those four straight fights, I think, back during COVID, and then lost to Marina Rodriguez, understandable, mm-hmm. beat Tisha Torres, as she probably should, lost to Yan Xiaonan, who's about to fight for a world title, understandable, beat Angela Hill, as she should, and then has now lost back-to-back to Jessica Andrade and Amanda Limoges. The story for Mackenzie Dern right now is she just can't crack these, like, top seven, mm-hmm. eight girls. But to do that, the striking is going to have to evolve. But she's beating everyone ranked below her. Yeah. So it's and, tough. And in her losses, when she does get it to the floor, she looks good. Like, yeah, yeah like, even there were some kind of weird leg exchanges with Limoges in this yeah. fight. But for the most part, when tough. she gets on top of somebody, she looks pretty good. But yeah. that, that ability to get it to the floor or manage the striking just isn't there that's what would get her across that that little echelon to compete at that really elite level with those girls that, that she's losing to I, well, did, oh, I was gonna say well in the story too here might also be coming in a uh, short notice for suarez maybe you don't because like we talked about after the loss to andrade was like hey you got some more stuff to work on keep working on it and i mean i think you even said like take some time to get better at this but then she steps in for this fight which is a good opportunity but if you know i mean you, you when you watch amanda limoges highlights you know what type of striker she is like you have mm-hmm. to have I mean, something there i mean she lost to you know she's had november december january february so three months since the andrade fight and to me um, I just didn't see three months, you know, really of improvement there. And mm-hmm. I told Brandon that too, is like, even if there wasn't the last minute nature of this fight, I just don't know that we would have seen much of a different outcome. Um, and th- you mentioned the leg locks there. Renya Nakamura defeats Carlos Vera. Carlos Vera is a um, Ryan Hall um uh, what would you call protege? it? Protege. Protege, yeah. student. Um, so obviously a lot of leg locking and, and, and attempts here. And it's like, and we're talking leg locks at the highest level. Like, this guy's probably, Carlos Vera is a very legit leg locker. And then we get into the McKenzie Dern. Like, we keep saying it, but 
I just don't think there's a place for leg locking in, in modern mixed martial arts. Everybody's pretty good at this level at defending them, number mm-hmm. one. And then the factor of just punching, and then it's like it's almost like Nakamura, every transition, knew exactly where to get to where not only he was safe, but he could land punches. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, man, yeah. I think I said a couple weeks ago there was a fight, and I was like, I think if I was a coach – coaching a fighter, I would tell them, do not leg lock. Like, I don't care how good you are. Like, I mean, I guess, like, if we're a Hail Mary, like, Dern got kind of close there with a the knee bar, yeah, but end. but really all Emoja had to do was figure for the legs, and then she was pretty safe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, real quick, Marcos Hajirio de Lima defeating Junior Taffa. <laughs> Shout out to Junior Taffa, man. His brother, Justin Taffa, was supposed to face uh, de Lima in this fight. Um, and, uh, Justin got injured on Wednesday in like a training. Seems like he did something really bad to his knee. I saw the video of mm-hmm. it. Didn't look good. And junior was just obviously there for his brother. And was like, I'll fight him. Uh, didn't go his way, but man, like you gotta love stories like that. Yeah, so. Dana was like, we didn't have to change the, uh, promo stuff, yeah. the paperwork. <laughs> they literally kind of look alike. I, I think, mean, I think junior does more two Oh five stuff. And that's probably why he was on weight. Yeah. To take this, Could but be. I mean, it's still legendary, man. I love stuff like that. Boys, we just literally do not have time to hit any more of these results, so we're going to have to move on. Before we do, Brandon, update us on our scores and make sure you mention how crazy good I'm doing right now. <laughs> All right, so last night, uh, let's see, Nate, you come away with six points. John, you had two, and then I come away with six points as well. So hold on. Does that mean, Brandon, you are finally out of the negatives? Yeah, I'm out. So current scores are Nate, you have 16, John, you have 12, and I am at four. Four oh, points. He got over the three, man. He got over. I know. <laughs> I was – we have – we're, we're going to keep – we're going to keep – we have – me and John have huge plans for your advisor. So you're still holding on to that. Oh, I was praying. Me and John have the best <laughs> idea. So you slip up again, you're on thin ice, buddy. Uh, just put it that way. Uh, yeah, John, you know, you made a run of it there early. You needed a three board, three point bump there at the beginning of the year, but it was honestly only a matter of time before I took you over. So did get a change there from second to first. I am now in first. Worth mentioning that, um, as I probably will be for the remainder of 2024, if we're being honest. Have only missed two fights this whole year, by the way. Uh, Pennington, Myra Buena, and then last week's Hermanson. Uh, Pfeiffer. So mm-hmm. um, I'm seeing the board. I'm seeing everything right now. I got my Cyclops glass, glasses on, and I'm ready, boys, for this Saturday, February 24th, with a main card start time of 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from the Mexico City Arena in Mexico City, Mexico. That's a lot of Mexicos. <laughs> we have a 125-pound main event. John, set us up for this flyweight banga. All right. In our main event in the flyweight division, we have number one, Brandon Moreno versus number Number three, Brandon Royval. Vol. Or Vol. And uh, as has become accustomed to the division, it is a rematch. Yes. Uh, starting off <laughs> yeah. with the Assassin Baby. That is the top of the flyweight division. Yeah. yeah. So starting off with the Assassin Baby, Moreno is coming off of a uh, loss to current champion Pantoja last July at UFC 290. Since 2020, Moreno is 5-2 and two with a draw, and I took the 2020 number because one of those wins was against his, against his current opponent, Brandon Royval. Right? Saying Royval. it right. Royval. Uh, where he won by first round TKO. Ironically, after beating Royval, uh, was his draw with Figueredo, and every fight after that for Moreno has been a rematch. Um, for Raw Dog Royval, he too is coming off of a loss to the champion to Pantoja, but more recently in December at UFC 296. Uh, both losing decisions to the champ in great fights. Before that loss, Rival was on a three fight win streak. This will be a relatively quick turnaround for Rival after a hard fought decision. 
Um, and his la- losing two fights would, in three months would be making it tough for him to make his climb back to the title. But a win could springboard him closer to the top. But with both of these guys having lost to the current champion, they'll need to have a huge performance to be granted another time, another one anytime soon. Alrighty, with that, Brandon, hopefully he looks up at the camera. Give us your pick. I'm ready. So, for this fight, these guys are really evenly matched. I went back and watched their fight, which I know was kind of a weird uh, weird stoppage with Roy Ball um, in terms of the, the injury, but it was kind of taken all over the place. Like, there was a lot of good striking exchanges, a lot of good grappling exchanges, but I think that Moreno has an edge in both of the... Well, I think Moreno definitely has the edge in striking, and I think he's good enough to submit Roy Ball on the ground, but I think... Man, with these fights, it's just so hard to really tease apart the, the drastic differences because they're not one's not better than the other in cardio. But for me, I'm going to lean Moreno here because I think he he has more tools and he has the win. So I think the mental side of this is going to play into this where Rivol is coming off the loss and they fought before, and I just think that Moreno has that mindset to get this done. And it's three rounds, right? Or five. Five. So, sorry, five. sorry, five. Um, so I'm going to take Moreno. I'm going to actually think he's going to get a submission. So I'm going to say Moreno by third round submission. He got decently close a few times in their last fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this will be an interesting one. Um, you know, kind of what I said in the lead up is, you know, Moreno's had more time to kind of recover from a really tough split decision fight. Whereas December, I mean, there has been a couple months, but that was a really tough fight for Brandon Roy Vaughn. It's interesting to see how he's going to be able to make some adjustments because I think Pantoja is another one of those guys that's super well-rounded like a Moreno where he's just going to have to bring everything he has and bring a wrinkle because like I said, this is just the land of rematches here. So adjustments is a big part. Um, I think Moreno does a really good job in those situations. Obviously not all of them has gone his way like the Pantoja. Antoja, but with the figgy fights he was able to figure some things out so i think he makes some adjustments here as well um i do like his boxing a lot i do like uh, his submission threat so i'm going to take brandon moreno by decision because i think revolve is going to be tough to put away Alrighty, i like it uh yeah one thing that really stands out to me in this matchup right away is uh this is moreno's first non-title fight since 2020 um and in his last non-title matchup back in november of 2020 he beat none other than brandon royval uh but aside from being his last non-title fight and win 2020 was also the last time moreno wasn't on a pay-per-view um and other than the royval fight which was a pay-per-view um he has been in either the main or co-main event slots of those pay-per-view which uh to me is a big advantage going into this matchup because not only does he have um, a win over Roy Vall, but he's also way more experienced in big moments and big spots because even though this Saturday is just a fight night, uh, I'm sure it's going to feel like a pay-per-view in that arena, especially when Moreno hits those curtains. Uh, yeah, and other, uh, another little quick nugget I'll drop. Um, and this really doesn't factor into my pick, but it's just more of something to watch out for. Um, I think, uh, or the only time Brandon Roy, Roy Vall has lost back-to-back fights in his career was when he lost to uh, Brandon Moreno and Alexandre Pantoja back in 2020 and 2021. And here we sit almost four years later, and there's a chance he could go back-to-back losses again uh, against Pantoja and Moreno. Um, and it's not much to look at unless you're, you know, really into superstitions. Uh, but I did want to throw that out there, obviously. Um, but in terms of the matchup, uh, I do think it's a fairly close one. Royval does crack on the feet. We have seen Moreno drop by Pantoja and Figgy. Um, so who's to say Royval can't? Royval uh, also some slick jujitsu and grappling abilities. I think Royval is also super tough, durable, um, which in a five-round fight at elevation – 
anything can happen. That's, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that could be said for every fight on this card with the elevation. Um, but with Royval being so durable and training at elevation himself, um, I think he does have a bit of an advantage there. But I did see Moreno is back out in Mexico training for this fight as mm-hmm. well. Um, so I think he's going to be prepared, prepared for that elevation as well. I also think Royval showed in the Pantoja fight um, that he was just a little ways off the mark in terms of fighting at this championship level right now. Um, and that's not to say he can't or never will, but just too much removed from that last showing uh, where uh, he kind of took a beating plus taking this fight on about one month's notice against one of the best flyweights in the world. Um, I just have a hard time not going with Brandon Moreno here uh, because I just don't see how uh, Roy Vall would have had time to get back uh, uh, to work on some of those things from the Pantoja mm-hmm. fight. Um, and he was taken down eight times in that Pantoja fight, and that's the second time in his career that that's happened mm-hmm. uh, to Brandon Roy Vall. Um, and sure, he does. Like I said, he has the jujitsu chops to handle it, but against another good grappler in Brandon Moreno, it's just not ideal. Especially on that backpack. Man. Yeah. Brandon Moreno is really good at that as well, and Pantoja I, had a lot of success. I think a decision is likely, uh, but again, altitude, things do get weird. Uh, so I think Moreno does get another finish here, and I will say third round let's go what would you take you took a submission mm-hmm. i'll take a third round kotko mm. okay all righty with that boys uh and in our co-main event we have a highly anticipated rematch between two top featherweights brandon what you got for us on this matchup all right in our co-main event we have the number two yair el pantera rodriguez versus number four brian t city ortega and yair is coming off of his third round stoppage loss to former champion alex volkanovsky prior to that yair was the winner of three of his last four with wins over jeremy stevens brian ortega and winning the interim championship over josh emmett Brian T. City has had a mixed run of form over the last five years, going one and two since losing the title fight to Max Holloway all the way back in 2018. In that time span, Ortega was a win over Zombie and then two back-to-back losses to former champ Alex Volkanovski as well and to Yair Rodriguez in their fight a couple years ago. Since 2018, Ortega has only fought once a year with one fight in 2020, one fight in 2021, and one in 2022. This also marks the second time in Ortega's career he's going on almost two years without a fight. This most recent absence came as a result of blowing out his shoulder in the first round of his fight against Yair Rodriguez, making this a rematch. In a recent interview with Kevin Ioli, Ortega even teased thoughts of retirement after undergoing multiple surgeries and having so many setbacks as far as coming back to the cage and even some negative interactions with fans. Ultimately, though, Ortega wants to get back into the, the, the cage to prove that he is still elite at 145 and avenge the heartbreaking loss which he had against Yair Rodriguez. Who you got? Right back to you. Yeah, so... Um, in this one, I'm going to go with Yair. So last time when these guys fought, I picked Ortega, and I think I picked him last time because he has the submission abilities to finish anybody. But he has the same problem that Mackenzie Dern does in the ability, in the lack of ability to get it to the floor. Um, now, the difference with Ortega is that he does have some good hands, but not in, good enough to beat Yair. In that first fight, there wasn't much to it. I think it was only about two minutes at the most, and Yair was piecing up Ortega. So I'm going to take Yair. Um, I don't think he finishes Ortega because Ortega is incredibly tough, but I, I just don't see Ortega coming back with the with the layoff and showing any increased wrestling ability, like a really good double leg. And even if he does get it to the ground, Yair's got a pretty good submission game as well in jiu-jitsu. So um, I'm taking Yair by decision. And yeah, man, just, I don't like guys when they go on these long layoffs like that. And this is the second one for Ortega. So give me Yair. 
Yeah, you know, this is um, probably two of the least active guys in the division who kind of stay at the top. You know, Yair's had some issues of trying to stay consistent, um, fighting multiple times a year, and then obviously Ortega now with the injury. And like you said, he's had some history with it. Um, and and I, obviously I was always going to say Yair in this because uh, he's part of the club. But I think for Ortega what's tough is you have all that time out with the shoulder and I don't know if you, and especially talking about possibly retiring, I don't know that you worked on the things you need to work on mm. when it comes to like wrestling or even diversifying your striking. Um, and for Yair, you know, you know, Nathan had talked about the elevation. Yair, he stays in Mexico. He's always, I think he's probably a big part of their PI system that they're trying to put up. Um, he's always like, I think he hitting. trains in Chicago though. Well, I know he's in Mexico a lot because oh, okay. there's times we'll see him hitting pads up like on the um, the Mayan temples and stuff. Like I think he yeah. he travels a lot, so I think that. Um, and then just the, I mean, we talked about him getting the the belt for the interim, having like the custom belt, but bringing that even energy into Mexico City. I think he's going to get a huge pop as well, and I I think that he's going to ride that energy with him. So I'm going to take a year. I will say, hmm. I think he gets him out of there second round TKO. Yeah, interesting one here. Uh, I do think it's so easy to kind of count out Ortega just based off the time away, like kind of what like what Brandon was saying there. Um, but I think with how elite Ortega's grappling is, that's not necessarily as big of a deal for me. Um, because if we learned one thing from the Yair versus Volk fight is, though Yair has shown a good guard from his back, he can be taken down and controlled. And, and I would say Ortega is an even better grappler than Volk in that regard, obviously. Uh, but one thing that kind of stood out to me um, – from their last fight, as short as it was, was the striking advantage that Yair had. I mean, he was so much quicker and sharper than Ortega that night. Um, and I picked Ortega in that fight against Yair. But uh, I said, having seen even as little as we did in that fight, um, I would pick uh, Yair if they were to rematch. Um, and here we are, obviously, and that's <laughs> about to go down, even with all the time that has passed. But I think that time only benefits Yair Rodriguez. Ortega is super durable, has that Mexican toughness and chin. So I don't know that Yair is going to finish him. Um, I think it, it would take some sort of doctor stoppage, essentially, much like we saw in the Max mm -hmm. fight to get Ortega out. Oh, their first fight. Yeah. Um, and I do still think there's a lot uh, to like about Ortega in this matchup. But again, with how fast Yair found success in that last fight, and especially uh, one thing I zeroed in on and rewatching was Yair was really starting to get on on Ortega's lead leg early um, and against a guy like Ortega who likes to march forward and uh, use his pressure I think that uh, is going to be a good game plan for a year and I think we're going to see it again um, and also when timing is everything in the stand-up I think it could just take Ortega a minute you know even if it's just mm -hmm. a couple rounds to get that rhythm on the feet which then you have to question at what point what at that point what kind of damage has Yair done in the fight uh, so then I'm just kind of at that point banking on Ortega just getting the fight down if I were to pick him which may Maybe he can, uh, but it's all just too uncertain for me to pick him here. So I will also take Yair Rodriguez. I do like the decision. Brandon took that. Um, so let's say third round KO TKO for Yair Rodriguez. Well, and what's tough about that too is Yair's never been submitted either. So it's like um, he'd have to be the first one to do that too for when it comes to Ortega. But very interested to see how that turns out, man. Also on this card, tons of just, you know, South American and Mexican talent. Uh, Francisco Prado, mm -hmm. really excited to see him. Raul Rosas Jr. That's a tough fight against Ricky Turquios, man. Turquios is a tough guy. Raul's going to have his hands full there. Um, I'm trying to look down this card, see who else. I mean, it's just full. Claudio Poyes, love Claudio Poyes. Glad to see him. 
Uh, so, yeah, check it out this Saturday. Really excited for a big fight night, and I'm telling you, this crowd um, is probably going to be going nuts. Yes, sir, Ski. John, let's get into the news. Going on the news. Uh, going on the news. Uh, uh. And if you don't like it, Brandon will punch you and give you a bruise. <laughs> well, as we always promise, we have some UFC 300 news. Uh it's going to make an appearance, but at this time we actually get some answers to some questions that's been floating around uh, what seems to be like all year. Uh, earlier last week, Dana White said that he would announce the UFC 300 main event at the UFC 298 post-fight conference, uh, delivering on his promise, although on Instagram and then further detailing it later, he did announce that UFC 300 will be main evented by light heavyweight title fight between Alex Bejeda and Jamal Hill. Uh, in the presser, he said they were trying to make a lot of fights happen, but it was all about taking advantage of an opportunity. Yeah, so with this Jamal Hill and Alex Pereira officially being announced as the main event uh, for UFC 300 um, and for all the hype that was being built for this card, um, how do you guys rate this fight for the biggest spot on what we were told is going to be the biggest card of the year? Um, and I don't necessarily want your ratings on the card itself. We'll do that another time. We'll probably, I'm thinking maybe we'll do like here in the next week or so because there's still one fight to be announced. Yeah. So I'm thinking we'll do like a full card rating segment or video um, here in the next week or two um i just want to know your thoughts on this matchup being in the main event spot because i don't think anyone would argue it's a great fight and it's going to be fireworks and electric uh but did this ufc 300 main event announcement of hill versus Pedeta deliver or underwhelm to what you thought the main event was going to be it underwhelmed me but man i was thinking about it a lot last night i, I don't know how much of that is because it's just genuinely that much of an underwhelming fight or because i was victim of that just putting so much stock into what i wanted from this main event it did it wouldn't have mattered who we put in there i would have been like nah you know so i don't i don't know where which one is the reason behind that but yeah i don't know what you mean by rating if you're wanting us to give like a number or something but for no me, no 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 i just just, just kind of what we thought yeah yeah i mean it was just it felt underwhelming but i don't necessarily want to go too hard on it because i feel like that might part of just been me with the expectations were just so high i don't know if they could have done a better one you know yeah i think there's a i think if if dana white could go like seeing how this all turned out if he could go back if he just didn't say all the mm -hmm. it's a super fight you guys are, we're gonna flip the whole world of mma on its head and like if he could go back and not say those things and just say hey we're working on it there's a lot of moving parts i think we're i think you know the excitement level probably doubles um because this is a great fight um an amazing fight um, some that I don't think anybody's going to be mad to see, especially, you know, as we thought like, man, maybe this is, you know, especially doing it after a long night already, um, doing it on Instagram and then kind of covering some other details later in the post fight. It's like, it, you just like kind of killed all the momentum, um, built up to it. Now people are going to have to kind of rebuild it as they do their promotion for it. Yeah, I just kind of think on like you guys are both spot on with like with how I felt. I think anything honestly outside of Conor McGregor was just always going to be a letdown for us fans, or maybe like a routine a return of Habib or something crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of that falls on the UFC and Dana White, who, as you guys said, have really just been hyping this card up since last year. Yeah, I mean, this isn't like something that just in the last couple of weeks uh, we've been getting fed or hyped yeah, up. And they for. said ninety eight and ninety nine. They're like, yeah, but wait for three hundred. Well, and then they've just drawn this whole announcement out, which has only built the anticipation. Uh, anticipation uh, because we thought they were working on something big and that falls on them for clearly not having a plan and I think that's what this is the most telling part of this um, or they just weren't able to put the fight together that they wanted to because 
as you said, John, the announcement to me just seems like we just didn't get the big one done. I mean, it's it was very unceremoniously announced after the fights on Dana's social media, um, where I would say he even looked less than hyped about mm-hmm. the fight himself or announcing it. Um, and I think if this was really the big fight that they wanted, uh, we would have seen some more investment in the announcement itself. I mean, you have your audience watching the pay-per-view. Why do you not have some big video package or promo during mm-hmm. the UFC 298 broadcast? Or even if you wanted to announce after the fight still you don't want to take the thunder from the pay-per-view why wasn't Dana on ESPN to make this big announcement or mm-hmm. something you know to me it just feels like this is just another great fight on an already stacked card because uh, this fight between Pededa and Hill again as we've all three just said it's a great matchup it makes a ton of sense no one's going to argue it but I believe Dana at one point John you I think you said it said that this was going to be a super fight um, or that they were working on that mm-hmm. and this for me this just isn't that at least by my definition or understanding of what a super fight should be and what it should signify uh so now we're just kind of in this spot where it seems like this was just the next best thing well and to take it another step further during 298 they announced 301 is going to be in brazil and rio and this and that to me you don't have a bigger fight for a brazilian i mean brazilian champion too unless you're saving pantoja for that that's what that's that's got to be the only because i was just talking to jacob about it this morning like that's what the only thing that seems logical to me at this point is if you throw pantoja um into that fight but I mean, you know, they don't we, even have a person ready. It, but yeah, because it's like I mean, I'm just I'm not insane. I'm just throwing two names out there. But like, how weird would it be to do like Drikas Duplessis versus Israel Adesanya in Brazil and right. Rio? Like that just doesn't really make sense. And and you don't you only got two Brazilian champions, right? Pantoja and Pereira. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's just very odd to me. And and I like I said, I genuinely for I will fight to the death and say that I think this fight was supposed to be on 301 and whatever was their idea fell apart and it's like we got to do something well and the rumors were also that Jamal Hill wouldn't be ready by 300 that's why it'd get moved to 301 or they were looking at maybe Alex and somebody else at 300 but yeah Money talks, and it was funny. You know, I sent it to the thing, the foreshadowing of they put the camera on Jamal Hill last night, and he says, I'm back. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things like, oh, he's there. But then, yeah. obviously, now to see the announcement kind of puts it in perspective. Yeah. So there we have that from the post-fight. Um, also, you know, additionally, I just wanted to say, uh, amongst his thoughts on the main event, Dana White also took a moment to praise Leon Edwards, saying that Leon was offered three opponents to headline UFC 300 and said yes to all of them, saying that he'll fight anybody. Um, Dana said that the fights fell through due to timing, also mentioning injuries and etc. This obviously prompts us to think that the three, like the three that said no, if Leon said yes, who are they? And what condition would make three guys say no? Especially when we know certain contenders were very vocal about being ready to fight yeah i don't know who the other three would be i mean that's that's my whole thing i mean you've got to me it was Bilal. there's only should be one contender so and Bilal's made it very clear on his social media is that he's good to go whenever ramadan whatever Mm -hmm. he doesn't care so it's like there's no way the ufc is going to take Surely, well, here, here's surely the, not going to take this opportunity from him again. Here's the thing. So we've we seen that uh, Hawani put out that they wanted to do like Leon and Hamzat. Hamzat said no to 300 because of Ramadan. So he's probably won. And then even with the Bilal, like people brought up basically saying like, oh, you know, since Leon can't fight on this one, he wants to fight soon. It's Bilal, right? And Dana basically said, we don't know what we're going to do yet. Yeah. We'll see when we'll see when we set up the fight, which to me sounds like, oh, we don't want to do Bilal for whatever reason. And I don't know who the third could be, whether it could be 
like an Islam or a Shavkat or yeah. somebody who just wouldn't be ready. It's a super fight. It doesn't have to be a 70 pounder. Could have been. Could have been Habib. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know. So, and, but once again, you know, for Islam and Bilal, those could be Ramadan related as well. So maybe that's all kind of all. T- I mean, Bilal obviously said he would still fight through that, but it is very interesting. He's been so vocal about being willing to fight. They did this whole announcement. You know, Leon did it at a, a soccer game and yeah. they've talked about it. And then now it's kind of like, Leon said yes, and he made a big point to like push Leon up because maybe Leon was like, "Look, bro, I know you might want to do this, but I want to fight. Don't make me look like the guy who doesn't want to fight when I've already said right. to all these people that I'm I'm fighting on well, three hundred. Good on Dana for bringing that up and saying that he said yes to everybody. Right, but the flip side of that is to kind of like bury Bilal at the same time of like, oh, I don't know what we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It becomes very interesting for that. Um, additionally, for UFC 300, he did verify that Zhang Wei Li and Yan Shanan will be the co-main event, which would make the BMF the one under that. Um, and then, lastly, you know, you'd brought up the whole thing about him having another fight but not being able to announce it yet. I didn't catch the Connor stuff. What was, did you know? What? Yeah. So I was gonna play. The, I'm gonna play the clip real okay. quick. Um, he was asked about basically Connor uh, last night, and this is what Dana said. Uh, with with regard to Conor McGregor, what what is the holdup with his return? What do you mean? Well, I mean he, the uh, Ultimate Fighter was over back in August, and I can't imagine the plan was for him to be out as long as he's been. Well, first problem was that he broke that shin bone. He was recovering from that. That that was one of the reasons we had it. And the other problem is he's fucking rich. <laughs> and how does that present uh, an issue to you with negotiations? What do you mean? Well, this I'll ask. Does Conor McGregor... Conor uh, McGregor doesn't need money. So are we at a point here where Conor McGregor may never fight for the UFC? Can you say that? If you had shitloads of money, would you be sitting here right now asking me this fucking question? No. No, you would not. That just answered your question. So he... So... Well, I answered no. So... But I was... At, so you're saying there's a, there's a chance that Conor McGregor will not fight again for the UFC? I don't know. Conor McGregor's got a lot of money. And, uh, you know... Anytime we get Connor, we'll be happy to, you know, be thrilled when, when he comes and fights. But um, money complicates a lot of things. He just filmed a movie. He's got to do the, uh, the press for the movie, and he's got obligations with that. And he does want to fight this year, but we'll see what happens. Is part of the issue um, that Connor. That's, that's the only issue. Is, anything, is there an issue? There's though, no other issue. That's it. Wanting to re sign him to a longer. No. Contract. Conor McGregor has probably been one of the best business partners we've ever had. Doing business with Conor is getting Conor to show up to shit on time is a problem. But Conor, as far as the business goes, for a guy, everybody talks about how Conor used to be on the dole and all this stuff. For a guy that was on the dole, Conor McGregor is a very good businessman. And Conor McGregor has always been a great partner to us. There's never any hanging out and haggling for money or, you know, you pay me more money. Conor McGregor has never done anything even remotely close to that. It's the exact opposite. When it's time to, 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 to dig in and, and get to work and, and uh, you know, make money, he's probably the most incredible partner we've ever had, to be honest with you. So I was thinking about this because I'm like – it's almost like he's trying to insinuate to something and you can kind of like you can kind of like see he's like pulling back pulling back he's going in on and then he pulls back um i don't i i i'm going to put my tinfoil hat on here uh and say i'm pretty sure um next year 2025 because now he's saying connor might not fight this year that's what he's saying here mm-hmm. essentially 
Um, I'm pretty sure next year the UFC ESPN deal is over. And I think the UFC has already said that they're shopping around for new networks and everybody's a buyer and everybody's trying to either try and figure out what they want to do. Part of me is starting to wonder, because everybody's like, what's the holdup on Connor? Connor's training. He seems fine. He's saying he wants to fight. He wanted to be on 300. Um, part of me is wondering if the Connor McGregor saga is more of the UFC posturing to ESPN of, we're not going to give you this fight if we don't get a better deal, or they're using it to negotiate a better deal. Because what, like what, I mean, outside of that, what, what else is the holdup on putting Connor? It doesn't matter when, where, how, who you put Connor out there against. It's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, so other than maybe trying to use it to leverage a deal with ESPN or somebody else, what else would you use it for? Because I also think it's weird, and this is getting that tinfoil hat, I also think it's weird that we are now moving into a space where Dana is only announcing pretty much fights on his social media. He used to do this on ESPN. He would go on mm -hmm. ESPN and announce fights, and he's not doing it. He's not giving them these interviews anymore mm. like he used to yeah uh so part of me wonders what the espn ufc relationship is like but then i'm also because i outside of that i don't know what else it could be because he's almost trying to say like well connor doesn't want to show up well that's not what connor's saying yeah and he's training so he's, he seems ready to fight well to me the whole thing is just he just literally contradicted himself the first half was connor has money what would you do if you had money it's you know money's the only the only problem then he follows up with money's not the issue. Yeah, he's the easiest person to deal with. When yeah. it comes down to wanting to fight, he does whatever it takes to make it happen. He doesn't have a money issue because he has money. But so that, that's why I wonder if there's just more to it. Maybe even Connor knows what's going on, but it just seems like I almost wonder if it's like they're trying to hold the Connor fight hostage from ESPN in a sense of like, right. we're not going to give you this fight if we don't get this, this, or that. Well, they got to be careful because Connor will kind of do what Connor wants to do. Uh, to an extent and there's a lot of other people who are paying people to do stuff he wants to fight man you gotta have to do yeah you have to do something else you might lose your chance that's not something i think well they it's just crazy do. how it was like we're gonna get him q1 and then it went uh well maybe we'll get him by the summer maybe by the end of the year now he's saying he might not even fight this year mm -hmm. and i just think it's really ironic that we're coming to the end of this espn ufc yeah. relationship and contract and again is it just that they're trying to i mean i don't know see it, i kind of thought kind of putting my tinfoil hat on. I thought the whole him like switching everything to on his Instagram was his relationship with Mark Zuckerberg who owns Instagram of maybe like kind of just plugging, bringing traffic into that or no, I don't know. Cause you're never going to reach the same amount of people as you will on the worldwide leader of sports ESPN. Dana White goes on ESPN and announces UFC 300 today at, you know, 4 PM. We're all watching. Yeah. Everybody's going to be watching. You know what I mean? So it's just like, to me, there's something else going on there, and that's the only other thing that I can like wrap my head around. And it's super unfortunate for like fans and people who want to see Connor fight, whether win or lose, because like I said, you're playing a really dangerous game. And Connor, I mean, two weeks ago, Connor was tweeting out, "I'm the main event," and Chandler was like, "Yeah, I'm ready." And I mean, even like you know, we talked about Chandler like trying to stall him out. Like he doesn't have Connor McGregor money, so yeah. eventually he's probably going to end up in a position if they're trying to wait this out till next year. He's got to do something because <laughs> he's your, holding this. That's spot. my only other theory is they're trying to get Chandler to back out of it because they don't want to take <laughs> it from him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's the only other thing. What else you got? We got to hurry. Okay, Brandon's yeah. got to go. Um, 
Last night at 298, the uh, UFC announced their second member of the 2024 UFC Hall of Fame in the form of the axe murderer, Vanderlei Silva. Um, those who are early fans remember his pride run as well as some great fights in the UFC. One of the scariest dudes, some of the best stare downs. Uh, really big for him. And for us, it's like seeing all the guys that we love yeah. to watch now uh, getting in there makes us feel a little oh, old. Yeah. Uh, we'd reported a few weeks ago that Sean Brady versus Vincente Luque, although announced, was not happening because of Sean Brady not being healthy. Vincente Luque now has an opponent stepping in will be Joaquin Buckley. Uh, UFC and WWE have partnered for a five-year deal to bring multiple events to the Honda Center uh, at Anaheim, California. That's it. Okay. And then 301. We were, well, we already kind of touched on that. UFC yeah. 301. They're going back to Rio. Uh, song of the week. I'm going to go Pop Smoke Hawkum. Nice. Love that song. Love Pop Smoke. Rest in peace. Brandon, what's your one for the people? Uh, one for the people. Went to the my first college wrestling meet Friday. Yeah. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. we talk about that. We saw Purdue. Uh, number one, Matt Ramos was there. That was fun to see. It was a cool experience. Uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, very good dual meet as well. Came down to the heavyweights. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it was, I thought environmentally, why it was really a fun environment. Everybody mm -hmm. knew was educated for the most like knew what it was going on oh, yeah. huge pops from the crowd it was really fun i haven't been to a dual meet or really a wrestling meet in general i think since 2010 when my cousins wrestled here oh, at wow. northwestern mm -hmm. and one of them went to regionals i think <clears throat> that year so that's you guys yell out too huh you guys yell out no, it's not two three. anymore it's three oh. which is like that could have been your one for the people <laughs> yeah it just does not sound it's three it's yeah. just it's not it's not it it's a basketball number after man. they did it for the first time i told brandon i was like it just doesn't it doesn't oh, it hit, hit the same. like the two <laughs> yeah yeah it's just not it man it's not it but i i mean it's not my one for the people but just off of that i was just blown away i think by the level of wrestling and the talent mm -hmm. and uh the stuff that these kids do is just unreal yeah, i mean it's crazy through injuries like you said even too how many of those kids like after their matches mm -hmm. started icing up and had stuff going every single one of they're them they're all banged up like that's that's wrestling yeah one of the kids dads was sitting in front of us and he said that they have three weeks now and they're off until the big tens and he's like it's a good thing because every single one mm -hmm. of them are injured and <laughs> every single one of them including matt ramos mm -hmm. had a giant ice pack on his hand did he end up winning oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tech, teched him in like a period it's, and a half you think he has some mma uh chances i don't know I, what do you think i feel like anybody that wrestles at that level yeah yeah that's, you, that's a good point you could you could do something but see there was like. two specifically <laughs> that stood out to me one of them had the best name ever mm. and sounds like an mma fighter stony yule yeah <laughs> dude <laughs> like if you're gonna create a ufc fighter the mule yule yeah it's right and, there and here's the thing about him like was he's the was he the most technical wrestler no but he was so mean mm -hmm. and so aggressive and to me he's one that stood out just because that meanness and aggression mm -hmm. and i feel like when you see guys that translate really good into us or mma wrestlers it's the ones that are really aggressive and really mean he's probably like a guy too who if he were to hit he's like one of those guys who probably carries unreal power just for mm. no reason a thousand like, percent yeah. wasn't really a big body guy mm -hmm. but just looked so strong and he was shadow boxing before the meet throwing and kicks. throwing leg yeah. kicks so <laughs> he's thinking about yeah. it <laughs> it's and, on the radar and he won his match and took his ankle you know they wear like the red and green he mm -hmm. took him off threw him in the air and duck shot him i Whoa. was like okay so he's i told <laughs> i looked at brandon i was like he's a good time yeah. like that's the kid <laughs> gotta write that name down well your name's stony yule yeah. Like, come yeah. on, you got to be. Mm -hmm. And then there was another kid from California that I, I, I 
told Brandon, I was like, this kid's like gives me purple belt, like oh, scary yeah. purple yeah, belt yeah. vibes. And he mm. went out and waxed his yeah. kid too. He was he looks so strong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So really, really fun. I would encourage, and it was free. Yeah. Did I you mean, buy a new singlet? I know you're looking. No, I did not buy a new up. singlet. No new singlets. So can report, John. What's your one for the people? Uh, one for the people. I went to some of the All Star Game festivities. Yeah. Got this little necklace. Uh, All Star Game hasn't been in Indy since 1985. Uh, was supposed to be in 2021, but COVID kind of messed that up. So it was nice to be around it. Uh, Indy always gets rave reviews for stuff like that. The Super Bowl went over really well. Obviously, they do, you know, Final Four, Big Ten Championships. So it was really cool seeing some of the players out there, seeing all the activities. It was really fun. Yeah, my one for the people is actually kind of sort of ties into Brandon's uh, because we. it's funny we've been kind of talking about uh, – I don't I think you got brought up last week, but the 170, and you were like, it just makes me sad. And I was like, I don't think these guys are as big as you really think. Uh-huh. And getting back to the Purdue thing, the first thing I keyed in when we walked in and uh, they were out there warming up is how small Matt Ramos is. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. like small. He is a small human being. And it just when you see these guys on TV, it just doesn't translate. I told him, I was like, the scariest thing is I thought Spencer Lee was bigger. And mm-hmm. like seeing how now in comparison, I'm like, geez, Spencer Lee's a little guy. Is that yeah. why you brought up the cage height? So that was my one for the people okay. is per the UFC website, the UFC cage walls are five feet, nine inches from the canvas to the top. Um, so I guess you can kind of use that as a reference on guys' true height. Um, and I feel like not many guys sub 185 pounds do I see their heads even coming to yeah, the top of the Jalen Turner. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, so that's probably going to live in my head now forever. And I would just every probably, time every fight. time I'm watching a fight, I'd be like, let's see if this guy's at least 5'9". Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're putting six foot, but I see a little bit of gap right there. Yeah, and that's per the, that's not me like going to side. That's on the UFC's website. You can look that up. We'll have to so. check the cage at the gym. Measure them out. <laughs> Stand by. All righty. Make sure you come back next week. We will recap UFC Mexico City. And I think we got that weird Rosen strike. Yeah. And I don't know what we're going to do for that one. That'll be, yeah. your, that'll be the one we'll leave you with. We might have week. a game. Yeah. We might. <laughs> we'll figure it out. But we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.